You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the helping spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their time in a way that allowed them to become better men and better women. I call out to these ancestors and ask them to stand with us, to whisper in our ear, to be the hand at our back, and to help us to learn, to truly learn from those people who have gone before us. To help us to hold true to those things that humans simply need to do to be here on this planet in a good way and open our hearts and our minds to those things that we must learn to do if we are to be the medicine for the time in which we are living. So I call out to these ancestors and ask them to be with us today, to stand around us and to help us to do what must be done for those who are coming. And I reach beyond these human ancestors and reach out even further. To those living beings who were here long before anyone ever saw a human. And I call out to these uh, many, many facets of life here on earth with us. And I call out to these ancestors and ask them to be with us and help us to remember our own true nature. Help us to understand how to truly be in our part of that great web of life. And to be in the web of life as a blessing to offer our prayers, to offer our songs, and to do our life in a way that we are part of the nourishing, enriching cycle of all of life. And with all of these different ancestors gathering around us here today and holding us well, let us gather ourselves. And I encourage you to gather your awareness from wherever it might be at this moment and draw it into your mind and draw it from your mind to your heart and from your heart down to your belly, and from your belly, let us take a moment and reach down and touch the earth. And give thanks for this day. Thanks for diversity and beauty. Thanks for all that nourishes you, all that abounds, and for all that challenges you to become a better version of yourself. And we reach out to the earth and give gratitude for a simple awe of life itself. And with this gratitude in our heart, let us reach down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude pour out as we go until we reach the very center of the earth. And there in the center, let us tune in to energies that restore and rejuvenate and nourish us, those energies that are before abundance, before diversity, and before beauty, that which allows us to sustain ourselves, to rest deeply, and to restore. We call out to these energies to be with us here today and we draw them up drawing them up through the layers of the earth up into our being and we call on these energies to help us to understand how to be manifest here in form in a good way how to be grounded in our bodies and our bodies grounded here on the earth and from that place of grounding to get a sense of who we are and what we stand for where it is that we stand 
and to live from that place, that place that has heart and meaning. Let us build our sense of home, our sense of belonging, and our sense of community from this energy, this energy that matters to our heart. And let us do so in a way that opens to those who are other than we are, that we might learn even more than we ever thought possible about what it means to be a human. And as we open our table to those who are other than we are, open our door to those who are in need, let us learn how to open ourselves to those parts of ourself we are somewhat disenfranchised from and how to connect even better to our environment, to the people around us and to the invisible energies around us and learn how to come into good relationship with all the different facets of what it means to be a living thing. And ultimately, let us move our awareness towards that great web of life and perhaps have a moment of blessing in each day of actually feeling our part in that great web. And may we take our sense of right relationship from that sense. And let us draw our energy up from our bellies to our heart and our heart to our mind to begin to send the earth energy up, up into the sky, out through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you here today, out through the atmosphere and out through the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, whatever way you conceive of it, to reach out to it and see yourself in it and it in you and begin to draw these radiant energies from above down into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings. And in this way, we call in the energy of blessing. We call in the energies of protection, of commitment and devotion. And we call in the benevolence of this universe and all the wisdom of the cosmos. We draw these energies down into ourselves and into our life, connecting it to the earth. And we call out to the beneficence of the world around us. And we ask for inspiration and illumination along the way. As we draw these energies down through our body and send them down to the center of the earth, we connect these two great energies, earth and sky, this great wholeness they create. And we ask that energy of these two legendary lovers, this energy of the big love that is the oneness of these two together. And we ask that big love to awaken the spirit of our own heart. And may our heart awaken and enliven that transformational quality in the heart, the human heart. And we call up the fiery passions of the belly into that crucible of transformation in the heart and call down the crystal clarity of the mind. And we let these two energies mix and merge and dance there in the heart. They give birth to that third and most sacred thing unique to each life. That understanding or memory or sense or feeling of why it is that we are here. And may you find something in that heart. Find the courage that you need in your heart to do something large or small in this day. To bring those gifts out into the world and to make them manifest. And for all the countless, abundant, amazing amounts of invisible help that we have in doing that, I give great thanks. What needs to be may what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd also like to thank Sarah and Amy and Michelle, Evelyn and Allie, Deborah, Darcy and all of the listeners who have been able to donate financially to the show. While the show is free in the archives and iTunes and on CoCreatorNetwork.com site to anybody who can get onto the internet anywhere in the world, 
grateful for that. It does cost money to do that. And so I'm grateful for those of you that are helping. Um, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported that each year so far we've been able to bring in the donations that cover these bills. So I am grateful to all of you who are helping me to do that. If you'd like to join the ranks of those listeners, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button, donate any amount you want, large or small, um, in any currency. We um, are grateful for it all, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. So if the show moves you in any way, know that it has moved you in the heart. Even if it moves you to frustration and distraction, it's still a movement in your heart. And I ask you to do that most fundamental of shamanic things, which is to allow what moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. So even if you can't donate financially, I ask you to do something large or small to help the show to grow. Share it with a friend. Do the journeys in your own life and see what happens. Share questions, share show ideas, share the shows through the internet and all the social media things that can happen. Whatever it is, do something in an energetic exchange for whatever it is that you receive. And in this way, we start to create a new way of being in the world. And I'm grateful uh, to all of you for all the many things that you're doing to make that happen. So today our show is about appropriation, spiritual and cultural and otherwise. And I'd like to welcome my guest, Mary Shutan, to um, the show today. Thank you, Mary. Hi. Thank you for having me again. So for those of you that are recognizing Mary's voice, you're right. Mary has been on the show uh, recently speaking about her two um, new books. They're both excellent. One is The Complete Chord Course, Working with Chords Through Energy Work and Shamanic Healing. Um, and then the one prior to that was called the Spiritual Awakening Guide, Kundalini, Psychic Abilities, and the Conditioned Layers of Reality. Both of these books, books are available widely, and they are excellent um, resources for those of you um, in that realm, shall we say, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> um, and, and speaking of that, um, Mary actually is particularly known for her distance healing work and working with people who have been thrust into the realms of otherness and don't exactly know what's going on. So she does have a personal blog that covers a variety of thought-provoking spiritual subjects and offers email-based programs and individual consultations worldwide for people experiencing kundalini and spiritual awakening, psychic ability abilities, shamanic callings, and other spiritual experiences we don't really even have names for, but learning how to understand what it is for you and what it is you're being called to do with it, if anything. Um, Mary's a spiritual healer who spent 10 years focusing on a tremendous amount of her own energy on wondering what was going on in her own life with her own sensitivities and abilities. Um, And so this led her into four years of Chinese medicine and certifications in upledger style and biodynamic cranial sacral therapy, Asian body work therapy, massage therapy, zero balancing, Reiki, energy work, root work, meditation, pretty much across the board. And so she's a good reference for those of you who need to find where your skills and abilities could fit in. She also has um, extensive education in, in various forms of body work, energy work, folk magic, occult practices, and shamanic and spiritual healing. Um, you can reach her at Lotus Bodywork. Lotus as in the flower, L-O-T-U-S, Lotus Bodywork at me.com. And her website is Mary Shutan. Mary, S-H-U-T-A-N dot com. And if you're 
autocorrect is annoying like mine. It keeps trying to make her marry Bhutan, but <laughs> oh, yeah, it's <laughs> very annoying. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we are live today. So if you have questions about today's topic, um, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or you can simply email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And you're welcome to do that with questions after the show as well. And if it seems appropriate, I'm happy to forward it to Mary. Um, so. Once again, Mary, thanks for joining me here today. Yeah. Um, yeah before we started uh, the show, I was commenting to Mary that as I've been preparing for the show, I've just been feeling how this topic just feels to me like an enormous energy drain. And and I've been trying to tune into what is that about. And and I think I think the challenge around the topic of appropriation is I feel like it's it's sort of like race or I don't know, rape or something like that, where no one really wants to actually talk about it. And that's yeah. my frustration with it, right? Is it's this, this thing we throw around, um, but not actually um, address communicating in a way that we can actually talk about what is appropriation and is it happening and what do we do about it? And, you know, because it's so much in that realm of respect and disrespect and entitlement and confusion. <laughs> yeah, basically, there's a huge amount of resistant energy to it. And there are kind of a couple of topics in the spiritual realm that have this sort of resistant energy to them. But spiritual and cultural appropriation is kind of that elephant in the room that nobody really wants to talk about and is really hesitant to because it's so hard to kind of... Um, it's not really a, a black or white thing, so to speak. It, there are so many different thoughts and thought forms and energies that kind of have to be considered um, when we're talking about a subject like so. Um, it does get very, it does get very tiring. I would call this whole this whole energy that kind of encapsulates this topic. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know. Um the reason I, I invited Mary about this topic is because she wrote a lovely article about spiritual appropriation in contemporary shamanism that was published in Sacred Hoop one issue back. It's issue 88. Um, and I thought, wow, here's a person who's actually thinking about this and writing you know, in a way that's not um, preaching from a soapbox. But how do we actually begin to um, unpack these all the energies that are around this issue and talk about it in a in a useful way because i realize you know part of this i hope we can get to at the end of the show once we talk about appropriation what is it blah 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 what isn't what it isn't <laughs> etc is um you know if we go too deeply into this sort of militant stance around appropriation we end up actually reinforcing separation that, yeah. that, that everyone is separate and we're going to big, build big walls around everybody and nobody can talk to anybody that doesn't already speak their language. And, you know, that's just not going to work. That's not where we are on the planet right now. And, and the thing about humanity is our history actually is a history of sharing. Yeah, and so I mean we can definitely talk about that, but there is um there is a huge difference between kind of cultural exchange which is expected and leads to some really wonderful things and cultural appropriation. So exactly. those are yeah. the two different energies and understanding and appreciate appreciating and just thinking critically 
about kind of what we're doing and where our energies might lie is um, is really important. So let's see if you can I can manage to pull this off in an hour. <laughs> 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 Which in of itself is perhaps oh, yeah. temporary insanity. But anyway, so let's start with spiritual appropriation. So since that's really near and dear in appropriation for people that are looking at shamanism, it's not just cultural, but it's also spiritual. So I'll quote your definition from your article, which is spiritual appropriation is the utilization of deities, spirits, beings, and ceremonial forms of all sorts from other cultures without developing any sort of relationship or respect for the culture or energy they were they are working with. So you want to talk a little bit more about that, sort of maybe how you see it and 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 let's talk a little bit about why that doesn't really work. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that come up when we're talking about spiritual appropriation. The first is this um a lot of us tend to kind of cluster around the surface layers of things. So um, what I saw in a lot of my practices and what I still see in, you know, it could be in a lot of different varying spiritual communities is that people will try kind of an archangel and then maybe a saint and then, you know, maybe a different spirit and then maybe an elemental. And, you know, they're, they're reaching out for all these different guides and all of these different spirits. And they don't realize that, first of all, if you're developing any sort of relationship spiritual or not but you know um, you have to really develop a relationship for it to work it can't just be um, I'm going to call on this if that doesn't work I'm going to call on this I'm going to call on this I'm going to call on this so a lot of spiritual appropriation that I see is really just this kind of surface sort of buffet a buffet style spirituality where we will learn about North shamanism one week and then the next week we'll be learning about um, a form of Indian spirituality. And so we're like, oh, I'm going to call on Kalima and then I'm going to call on, you know, um, I'm going to call on a pagan, you know, deity. Um, and we never achieve any sort of any sort of depth with them. Um, and so our experiences are not quite real, um, meaning that we tend to self-create and we never get that sort of power, um, which is kind of a different subject. But um, we never develop kind of a right relationship, an appropriate relationship, a relationship really of depth um, with um, some of the energies that we may work with. Um, and the other thing is just really it goes into the category of respect, meaning that if we want the spirituality of a culture, if we want the deity, if we want, you know, whatever we want from that culture, I make a big deal of saying that spirituality is not separate from culture or mythology or history or present day reality. So if you're trying to work within kind of a pantheon um, and you don't know anything about the history, you don't know about the land, you don't know about the present day reality or the politics or what's going on, that's a huge problem. Um, so those would kind of be my two my two uh, general general thoughts about the subject. <laughs> well, and and you know, and it, it, part of that is there's sort of two dangers I feel like that are opposite sides of the coin. Maybe one is that danger that you've already spoken to, which is you end up in a sense really kind of playing in your own mind. It's a, it's a little trickstery thinking in your own mind and not actually tapping 
the um, true depth of power that can be in that co-created relationship when you really have a working relationship with spirit. When you as the human being have done your homework, done perhaps the rituals, the initiations, whatever is necessary to actually have that working relationship, there is power available there. So, so one side is sort of the danger of now working as if you think your efforts are funded, but they're not. So you're really kind of draining yourself or fooling yourself or both. Yeah, exactly. And and just to speak to that for another moment is that I make a huge deal about the fact that mental work, like mental work, psychological work, there's a huge difference between psychological work and shamanic work. And a lot of people these days, they they think that these two are kind of coexisting in a way, and in certain ways they do. But spiritual work is much more than a mental exercise. There's much more depth and there's much more power that can be achieved. So if you're treating it as kind of a mental exercise and whatever, whomever you're contacting, you're not really getting to to a depth and not really contacting probably anything outside of yourself. It's kind of like the example of this from your article was, you know, calling on Callie as as a support for getting in touch with your shadow side, which is really superficial relative to what Callie as as a helping spirit would actually bring to someone who has done whatever is necessary for Callie to bother work with you. <laughs> So. Yeah, exactly. And if we don't know the history, like it sounds fun and fine that, you know, we're going through a period of darkness. Okay, let's call on, you know, Kelly, you know, but we don't realize because we don't know the history, we don't know the culture that she um, has a huge amount of aspects to her, including a motherly aspect. Yes, of course, there's a destructive aspect or a darker aspect, but what is that destruction actually about? In her case, it's about kind of removing untruths. And if you don't know that and you're just thinking like, oh, I'm just going to look at my tarot cards or whatever that talk about her, um, you're not going to be able to get into a depth relationship with her, really any sort of relationship, because you're just reducing her to 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 basically an archetype instead of a, a full being who has a multifaceted personality basically and then i think another side of danger that people rarely um, pay attention to is by not understanding the relationship of a deity particularly with deities but also with um, spirits of the land that there is a history already established with people and what a lot of people don't recognize is that from the spirit world's perspective, for the most part, humanity is just humanity. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's an enormous cultural debt to Cali, for example. This, isn't a, this is a hypothetical. This isn't a reality. Yeah. But now I'm going to tap into Cali. I'm part of humanity. And even though I have no understanding of whatever that cultural debt is, I'm considered responsible for that debt because I'm part of humanity from Cali's perspective. So without having any understanding of what the relationship is between these different helping spirits, be they deities or land spirits or whatever, with history and the land and humanity on the land, we could be walking into a big imbalance yeah, and then and making ourselves part of that. 
Yeah, and that's exactly what I see. Um, so American Indian um, pathways, I would just call it, the, those are not my path, but that's exactly what I see in terms of that relationship, in terms of our relationship to um, American Indian spirituality, is that we still have all of these unspoken energies, all of these atrocities, all of these things that are very history-based and culture-based and land-based that are not that far removed from our from our current history and so there's typically what i see is a lot of you know people sitting around going i don't know why they don't want to teach us we're all indigenous we're all one um not really appreciating kind of the the diff i shall gently say difficult history and kind of the other side of things and kind of the the unspoken energies shall we say and mm-hmm. dynamics that are there so yeah so, so one of the things, though, for those of you that are kind of going, hmm, okay, well, am I doing this in my practice? You know, how how would I understand that? Well, what I, part of what I liked about your article is you presented, um, you know, well, the first issue is respect. You know, do you actually do you, have you respected whoever it is you believe you're working with enough to understand who they are and 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 recognize the relationship between a teacher because every helping spirit is a teacher and you the student versus you're there entitled to whatever they have to offer so is the, is are you coming respectfully but also i like the fact that you named it the courting phase you know have you actually courted this spirit do you know what they expect from humans that want to work with them are you making those offerings learning those songs doing those dances you know have you done anything at all to to as as in courting to show yourself worthy of this intimacy with this spirit and then the last thing that you brought up was um, initiations. You know, some of these spirits, there is no way you're going to be in actual working relationship with them without an initiatory experience or two or three <laughs> or, <laughs> or 12 or 20 or yeah. for the rest of your life. You know? yeah. So is there anything you want to kind of add to the, the person who's listening to us already and going, hmm, okay, well, what, what do I do to check to check what I'm doing right now with my helping spirits? Well, you know, one of the biggest things, again, if we're, you know, I kind of harp on this, but the difference between kind of mentally creating an actual, like, spiritual relationship is kind of checking what's going on with that. So any spirit or energy you're working with, and I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's one of your ancestors or if it's, you know, um, a deity or whatever, you know, anywhere in between, is that if something is coming to you and it wants to work with you right away, and, you know, I've heard so many people say, oh, I have a Native American spirit guide, he's from 300 years ago, and you talk to them, and this spirit guide speaks exactly like them and, you know, says exactly what they want to hear. And, you know, kind of we can line everything up, but appears whenever they want them to. Um, and, um, you know, kind of all of this sort of stuff that we could talk about. But, um, but you know, there really is with most spirits kind of even if there isn't, you know, hardcore initiations, there is a sense of courting. It's like, 
if you go out in ordinary reality and meet somebody at a bar, um, you're not typically going to ask them to, you know, move furniture for you the next day or something like that. You know, it's going to take a while to to be comfortable with them and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So in terms of practicality here, I would say is that um, for people to be really aware of kind of this buffet style thing and to stop and take a breath and kind of not rush their spiritual experiences because, you try out one thing and it doesn't work and you move on to the next deity or the next technique or whatever is going on you're not going to achieve the type of depth needed so that you can actually have a working relationship with things so um and it, you know if you're out there and you think that you're talking to a rock and that rock speaks exactly like you are you might want to question things a little bit a little bit more deeply <laughs> um so I want to kind of share an example from, from my own – the students that do the four-year training with me come into a particular cosmology of helping spirits. Um, and one of them is really hard to live with. She, she is probably one of our most helpful helping spirits, but she's really hard all the time. She is, she'll jump into whatever mess you've created in your life, and that's the beauty of what she'll do. But she is demanding, and she really is teaching us about warriorship, among many other things. And there was a period of time where several students said, well, she doesn't ever treat me that way. She's always really kind to me, and like she makes me cookies. And <laughs> I had to take a step back and say, come on, people. That is not her nature. So what is it about your relationship with her that you're receiving such an entirely different relationship than everybody else, you know, because they assumed they were at some place of mastery with her. And what they found out to the person is that she felt they were children and therefore was just sort of taking care of them when they showed up, but not working with them yeah. at all. <laughs> it was a big shock for these people to realize, but the helping spirits there with me in my journeys, it's like, yeah, but it's not her job to bake you cookies. Yeah, Yeah. and so exactly. And so when we talk about helping spirits, of course, they can be loving, they can be, you know, pure love themselves. But if you're not learning, if you're not growing from them, there's something in that there that you need to look at, because essentially, it is, um, if we're talking about helping spirits and not just like kind of spirits overall, um, it is a working relationship, meaning that they're contacting you essentially for a reason um, and you're intended to grow and, and work with them in a way. So if that growth isn't happening, that's, that's definitely something to, to question. <laughs> Although cookies are nice, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to share Mary's acid test from her article. So the first thing is in working with your helping spirit, a, make sure you actually have permission from them to be working with them. Um, for example, we even ask permission from a retreat center to work on the land before we book our retreats there. Like we're always at, not ever assuming we have permission to draw on energy anywhere. So permission. The next you've already talked about, uh, next two, which is respect and be willing to do some research. And then um, – then your next one was looking at your attitude about power in the relationship. Do you want to say anything more about that one? You know, or have we covered that? We've covered that a bit. What I would say is that people, 
I don't know how this emerged, but people really want to feel really safe in their cosmologies. So they will take on all of these thoughts and all of these understandings that make them feel really empowered, really in control, and most of all, make them feel really safe. Um, and so this is an attitude kind of of power and meaning that if you are interacting with the spiritual realms for any period of time and you go beyond again we're kind of getting to the word depth again but you're going to realize that you are a very small energy in a whole field of energies some of which may be massively more powerful than you and so recognizing it's kind of an aspect of humility but it's also kind of getting over yourself a bit because when you walk into a room chances are even if you're the only physical person there you're probably not the most powerful thing in that room there are so many different energies out there and so people fall into this sense of safety in their work and i think really keep it very mental because real spiritual work can be a bit frightening. You can learn how much is out there that, you know, has a lot more power, has a lot more understanding, has a lot more, knows a lot more than you. So um, just kind of realizing that, um, yes, you should have respect. Yes, you should have some measure of control in your relationship, in your relationship, just like we all do in our relationships. But um, if you're only calling on a spirit because you want them to do stuff for you, like what kind of relationship is that? And is that actually an effective spiritual relationship or could you get like a little bit deeper basically? So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And just because a spirit is willing to do things for you doesn't mean that's a good thing for you to be doing. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> Basic discernment. Again, again, another thing that, you know, we, I don't know where we kind of learned all this stuff, but um, a lot of people are like, oh, this spirit keeps on telling me he's my guide and he wants me to do X, Y, and Z and he's doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you know, that's not really a good guide. That sounds like a spirit just of like, you know, your basic kind of like, um, garden variety ghost that's contacting you and is just mm -hmm. kind of screwing with you a bit. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, so back to Mary's acid test. The next couple, two are, were, no, the net last, second to the last was proper protocol. You know, are, are you doing the things that are, the spirit really asks for to be in right relationship with the spirit, whatever that might be. And then the final one is, are you pissing them off? <laughs> Yes, she wrote that in the article. So, <laughs> so what were you thinking there, Mary? Um, you know, I, I had a specific experience, and I'll talk about it just kind of generally, but one of the things that really made me interested in this issue is that I was in a circle with a bunch of people, and we were intended to do um, a dance that was Native American in origin, and I am not somebody typically to hear things externally, meaning like an energy speaking to me like you're speaking to me. And I heard distinctly, this is not for you. And it just, you know, shivers all up and down my body, you know, kind of just looked over and I realized just how 
I've had a couple moments of this, and it's one of the reasons um, one of the reasons why I don't take very many spiritual workshops anymore. But I realized how much this was angering the spirits of the land, specifically the Native American energies that were there, that there were basically, you know, a bunch of white people there that were mimicking these ceremonies in a really hollow sort of way. Um, and so, this can obviously be really be really upsetting not only to you know other humans to other living humans but also to spirits and energies if we're saying you know oh we're working with this oh we're doing this oh sure we have permission but have we actually do we actually have permission are we sure that we're not upsetting anybody living or or not so living and that's a pretty, actually, a pretty good bridge into talking a little bit more about this. This this idea of spiritual appropriation fits into this larger issue of cultural appropriation, and so maybe we can kind of shift gears a little bit and yeah. broaden here because because there is when we start doing actual ceremonies and rituals that have been crafted from spirit by another group of people we do definitely step into that territory of are we appropriating from another culture or not and i guess where i always want to go to and do we need to but yeah that would be my thought as well yeah you know but but part of it is um you know, recognizing what appropriation is. So appropriation is one, it's an, it's an ethical issue. It's, it's a, it's under the umbrella of ethics, which is part of, I think, where the messiness can come in in talking about it. Um, because sometimes it's not an appropriation issue. It's just purely an ethical issue. But anyway, appropriation is a kind of theft and it's taking something without the owner's permission, which is theft basically, right? So cultural appropriation almost always involves members of a dominant culture taking from cultures of um, minority groups or the culture being dominated, for example. And this includes taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expressions or artifacts and the unauthorized use of another culture's dance, dress, music, language, stories, cuisine, traditional medicine, ritual ceremonies, etc. So, you know, one of the, the challenges is, so for example, recently there was a hullabaloo about to simply use the word shaman is appropriation. Yeah. And I don't know. I it, it, One of the things about language, right, is it's one of the things people share most easily over time, right? So, so is it appropriation to, for example, use the French word menage a trois? I mean, (laughs) I mean, we don't, we don't get all up in arms for that. Yeah. what, What I would say about the word shaman is that it's become such a loaded word. I personally, um, call myself a spiritual worker because of a lot of the politics that are involved with the word shaman. And because, um, I recognize it's such a, a loaded word and plus I've studied other things. So it's just kind of kind of easier because I don't really technically go anywhere most of the time. But um, but there are these sides that have distinctly these camps that have sort of set up around this word shaman and, you know, how political it is. And 
one side is saying, oh, you know, anybody can be a shaman. And then the other side, if you actually talk to, you know, people who um, there are entire boards set up that kind of blast anybody who calls themselves a shaman. And, you know, it it, it is one of those things that, as we talk about at the beginning, it's, it's really tiring, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a difficult energy to work with. Um, and of course, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, you need to be a male Siberian, you know, spiritual worker to to be called a shaman because that's where the language um, emerged from. So in most cases, I would say that, again, we're talking about kind of cultural exchange versus appropriation um, is, you know, is a shaman somebody who in another culture could be called, you know, 500 different things sure yes and most reasonable people would would acknowledge that um but there is this appropriation this surface level stuff of um of you know anybody could be a shaman anybody can work with the spiritual realms anybody can call themselves a shaman that wants to um and you know these are people that may have not read anything um or really understand anything with a sort of depth. So again, we're kind of getting into this issue of depth um, and not really understanding the culture behind even kind of what a what a spiritual worker does or or is. So mm-hmm. it's a convoluted topic though. For the, it is for a sure. convoluted topic, certainly. And I and I think to argue around shaman actually misses the deeper point, which is for people that are in these various practices, are they actually practicing with respect relative to other cultures or are they practicing from a place of entitlement? And I think, you know, arguing about the word moves us into our heads away from actually looking at our practices and and ultimately looking at the work and what gets created and um, is there any merit in the work and if there is merit in the work then there's something going on there and then the question is are the methods being used for the work then appropriated from elsewhere or simply out of that person's own relationship with spirit because if we actually understand the history of humanity on this planet we do all have shamanic ancestors literally i don't mean new age woo woo we're all one past lives blah 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 i mean literally bloodline relations to shamans now my ancestors my bloodline relations did not call them shamans they called them something in german and something in english and something in um scottish and blah you know but they had a word for Right, and the, all these cultures have different words for it. So, the idea there's kind of a hipster new idea, which is that no contemporary person can practice shamanism because across the board it's appropriation, which so misses the point. Right? It really does, and it's really kind of a diversionary tactic because we have. It's, it, it really is a whole culture now that has really romanticized this word and even has romanticized, you know, what a shaman is or what they do. Um, I love the fact that I'm a spiritual worker, but it's really, it's, it's hard work. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, one of my teachers used to tell the joke of like, everybody wants to be a shaman until there's a demon in the house. Um, (laughs) and so it's it is really one of those things where it's like people have this 
um, illusory sort of romanticized idea of what a shaman is and how they're supposed to act in kind of this sort of new age appropriated way that is now so far from the truth of what a spiritual worker does or is or acts like. So, you know, I've had people back when I wasn't doing so much distance work who, you know, they've, they've wanted for me to act a certain way or dress a certain way or eat certain things or because otherwise in their minds, I wasn't a spiritual worker and all of that sort of stuff is just kind of window dressing you know one of the most you know powerful shamans i ever worked with when i went into a ceremony with him he looked at me and told me to go eat a mcdonald's burger after and so you know so it's one of those things where we have this really you know romanticized vision of what a spiritual worker is and what spiritual work is and um the reality of that now has gotten has gotten really far removed from that basically so I think that part of part of what I would love to actually hear in in a in a well in a conversation about appropriation is an actual conversation versus people just bullying each other. Yeah. But more to the point, you know, getting to the place of recognizing that um, the methods, you know, if we stay within shamanism, okay, so the methods mm-hmm. for which we work with the invisible world. So trances, singing, dancing, ritual, ceremony, you know, these methods are, are you, the, the actual, the fact of the methods themselves are used by people all over the world. Yeah. And so they and, are in a sense owned by humanity. The specific method, like the specific song, the specific choreography of the dance, the specific way of doing something is owned by the culture itself. And that's, I think, the, the, the awareness that each of us has to find in our own personal integrity is, am I working with a method that humans use and discovering through my deep relationship with spirit how best for me to do this? Or, or am I afraid that I can't validate the truth and reality of my own work, so I'm going to reach over here sideways and grab this thing that works for these other people and use it because I actually can't hunker down here, pay my dues and validate my own relationship with spirit and learn yeah. it the long way, do the exactly. hard work and, and work for years before anybody notices you're actually doing good work. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what happens is that we have this, you know, we have this rushing, this essentially, you know, become psychic in six steps, become a shaman after reading this book or taking this workshop. And it really takes a lot of time of, you know, self-cultivation of, you know, working with energies of to really understand what's going on. And most of a lot of what I've learned, actually, even though, you know, you read my whole spiel at the beginning of how many classes Mm -hmm. I've taken has really been spirit driven. And when I check in, with, you know, friends and colleagues that are of all different kind of spiritual stripes and all different kind of, you know, spiritual, you know, whatever you might want to call them, they, we can get together and talk about, oh, that's really, you know, that's a Polish way of going about, you know, calling in the, calling in the spirits or working with the spirits. Oh, this Hungarian method and, you know, this African method 
They're, they're actually very similar in some ways. Let's talk about their similarities and differences. Um, and so there is in our outer culture, in this kind of surface culture, um, this, you know, I want to be advanced yesterday, I kind of joke about, but it really does to, um, to achieve the type of power, to achieve the type of understanding that you really need to, um, to achieve the sort of depth that this work really requires. It takes, it takes time basically. And this is no matter how naturally talented you are basically. So you could have all sorts of latent power, all sorts of energies from past lives and, you know, whatever ancestors and whatever you want to call it, it still requires a significant period of time. And so we do have, you know, we all have shamanic ancestors, we all have, you know, we're all indigenous, we all, you know, etc. But um, if we are choosing methods that are surface methods, and we're kind of keeping things on a surface level, um, what we're doing most typically is, is appropriation instead of um, really achieving the depths that we want. So, um, and just for clarity, I will say is that, um, I don't find it to to have any difficulties if, you know, if a white person wants to study Haitian voodoo or something like that, just to kind of pick an example. But if you, they have, I'm just picking that example because they have a very specific initiatory path and a physical one, meaning you go through specific ceremonies, you have a specific amount of time that you need to kind of do, do specific things, if I'm going to be general about the subject. But whatever path that you choose, whether it be through spirit or through kind of, you know, a specific religion or spiritual path, whatever you're called to, it really is a question of, you know, kind of that depth and that, that respect that is, um, tends to be lacking. So, so I have a, an example of a, um, a Qigong teacher of mine who is, who is pioneering kind of a new form out of decades of work in China. So he certainly put his hours in and kind of manifesting this, this new form based on old Shaolin time in the Shaolin monasteries. Okay. So before he can print his book, write his, write his book and get it out there, a student takes his forms and, and literally his words describing them, puts them in his own book and gives the teacher no credit. But so, that, so the student who publishes the book is presenting this work as his own. Now the issue here is, A, they're both white guys. So is there any appropriation? Right? Or is this just simply unethical? <laughs> that's yeah. kind of, you know, like my first question. But then the other th- question about it, as I was thinking about it as an example, is that so the teacher who's put in all the years and, and, and originated these forms through his relationship with the spirits, right? His cult, his culture, sort of quote unquote, around his work, you know, is only two decades old. So we yeah. wouldn't really recognize it yet as a culture, although it is certainly his intention to be beginning one. So, so it, it's, it, 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 what, I guess my point in this is that the presence of a cultural history and the difference in power are, are two aspects that I think are characteristic of when we're really talking about appropriation versus just simply unethical behavior, theft, copyright infringement, that kind of stuff. What do you think yeah. about that? 
And so for your teacher, I wouldn't call that appropriation, meaning that he's, you know, gone through um, or they've gone through decades of training and really gone to that current of energy, that current of spirit. Of course, um, that 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 student who is ethically taking things, there's always going to be a question of, you know, kind of how their life ends up if they do something like that. But of course, that's an that's an ethical issue. But when we're talking about something like this, you know, in terms of kind of spiritual and cultural appropriation, there are many pathways in, you know, there are many pathways to get to kind of the current of spirit, to get to that sort of depth, um, to access the type of power that really is out there um, for, for a fair amount of people if they're willing to kind of look for it. Um, and so instead of calling it spiritual or cultural appropriation, it's really a question of depth and power, I think. So um, the difficulty is, is that um, a lot of people haven't really, and this is going to, again, be kind of a controversial thing, but a lot of people haven't really experienced much power in this world. They haven't gone to a ceremony that has much power. A lot of the, a lot of the ceremonies that I've been a part of or that I've seen um, don't have much power to them. They're pretty much hollow because they're just a series of techniques. They haven't really achieved that sort of depth. So you can, you know, you can put a bunch of flowers on a blanket or you can do whatever you want. Um, it still isn't kind of tapping into, um, tapping into the current of power. It's pretty much hollow. And so when we're talking about kind of pure spirit or we're talking about different spiritual traditions, it is my experience that they all have sort of a current of energy. And this energetic current, if we're able to tap into it, and it doesn't matter who we are um, and where we're coming from, if we're able to tap into a specific current or just like a current of divinity overall, that's not appropriation because that current involves us knowing about, again, the culture, the mythology, the history, the present day reality of things. And so if we don't know the history of something, we're not going to be able to access the power. If we don't have respect, if we haven't learned specific or had specific initiations, physical or spiritual led, we're not going to be able to access the power that we need to, to really be a person of power and to do kind of, you know, powerful spiritual work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's talk about a couple of the sort of new age knuckleheaded things that keep circling around the, the infoverse out there. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of them, so one of my least favorite is, you know, because I had a past life as a Lakota shaman, I have a right to this I'm, I'm not culturally appropriate, even, even though in this life I'm a suburban white woman or something like that. Yeah. So I find that whole thing of using your past lives as justification for appropriation completely unethical. And it shows a really lack of depth of understanding of what the purpose of our past lives are relative to our current life. Yeah, and so I put those kind of in the same category of like past life claims and we are all one, we're all indigenous sort of claims. Like that doesn't mean that we don't have to do the work and go to the depths in our current incarnation, you know, like great, we're all indigenous, we're all one. In that oneness, are you 
just wanting the spiritual traditions or are you actually going to, you know, are you going to look at the present day reality? Are you actually going to learn anything about the history? Are you going to go beyond the surface at all, even, you know, with the spiritual stuff? So that's great. You had a past life of something, but that doesn't really mean much in the present if you don't know what to do about it and you, if you haven't educated yourself in your present life. Basically. And also the whole we are all indigenous claim I, I think is actually a false claim. So for example, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and all around me are are really funny names of things because they're names of a huge array of many, many different um, indigenous people here. And my family has been here pretty much as long as there have been white people here. But that doesn't make me indigenous because my whole life I've been aware that there were people here before the white people. Yeah. So, you know, to, to claim that is, is, um, is really the right of the entitled, yeah, you know, and which makes it a dubious right at best. Yeah, and I would put in this same category, and I'll just mention it briefly, but a lot of people have not really awakened to this sort of latent conqueror mentality that a lot of people have, meaning that we have conquered you before, we are the dominant culture, so we get your stuff. And this is a huge issue um, out there in the spiritual world because there is so much information at our fingertips, but people start to get really offended. I mean, people get offended by me when they contact me and I'm like, you know what, it's not the right time for you to to work with me because of this sort of entitlement and this sort of conqueror ideology that they haven't really haven't really awakened to yet. So it's a really pervasive energy and it's something that I hope that more people kind of awaken to that just because you want something and you want something now doesn't necessarily mean that you get it basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is sort of the the heart of entitlement. Um, so say a little bit about the whole, um, if people are getting something out of it, what's the problem attitude? So um, on the surface, if people are getting something out of it, if people, you know, people always ask me, okay, so people are self-creating things. So people are appropriating things. Where's the harm in it? In a lot of cases, there isn't a huge amount of harm unless you're actually tapping into something spiritual. So a lot of people can do this sort of, you know, the hollow ceremonies and kind of the play acting and the weekend workshops, and it's not really a big deal. They might feel a bit better about themselves. They enjoy hanging out with their friends. They eat some good food. They have some sunshine. Not a big deal. But if we get to the fact of a couple of things, one is I'll mention um, overall, just because it was a huge deal, the James, um, James Arthur Ray case, meaning that this was a man who decided that he was going to get huge amounts of money to set up a sweat. And I forgot how many people died, but he didn't know how to set it up correctly. He didn't know how to talk to the spirits of the land correctly. He turned it into kind of a self-help thing, and he... he angered a huge amount of people both you know and spirits in doing so um and so people can really you know die from appropriation and although that seems like a harsh example i'll also point out that there are a lot of people who call themselves shamans out there 
and again, we all make mistakes and all of this sort of stuff, but I consistently get people to me that are saying, I've been to five spiritual workers, and I'll just use the example of curses, and they all told me that um, everything is psychological, everything's in my head. If I've been cursed, that just means that I have to think of white light and it will go away. And what has happened is that these people who are saying this to them have never studied any spiritual traditions, have never any studied any kind of spiritual work in this sort of depth that would really teach them that there are some cultures out there, there are some people out there that can curse other people. And I'm just using that because it's kind of a prevalent example. But, um, you know, it could be go to people who've learned soul retrieval in a weekend workshop or, you know, whatever is going on is that there are a lot of people out there that are kind of playing in the spiritual realms. And it causes for people to either not be able to get help when they actually need help, um, or it can actually cause harm. Like I've worked with people who as a result of soul retrieval have, um, because of either the, the spiritual worker bringing too much stuff back for them to be able to um, cope with or bringing an energy back that wasn't theirs, have been institutionalized, have been hospitalized, have had breakdowns, have, have you know, have, have been dizzy for the next six months. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't a game. It isn't like, you know, it isn't play acting. And so those are extreme examples, but that's, that's really what can happen when we start to go into what, um, what sort of harm this creates. So in addition to the fact that appropriation in and of itself is unethical to start with, <laughs> yeah. it does actually create harm. So we've kind of uh, suddenly run out of time and I'm sorry about that. So I just want to go back to something we said. I was, and We ran out of time to come back to it, which is simply for contemporary practitioners, there is no need for you to appropriate other people's practices. The methods are here. Create your own. Work mm-hmm. with spirit. Spend the time, invest the time and energy to understand how to do work of good merit. You don't have to appropriate other things. You shouldn't ethically, but more importantly, you don't need to. That would be my sort of final thing. Anyway, Mary, thank you so much for joining me today and just being willing to write about these things and talking about these things in in a way that um, helps people really pay attention on a deeper level. So thank you very much. You are welcome, and thank you for having me again. So everybody, Mary is at maryshutan.com, and remember her books, The Complete Chord Course and The Spiritual Awakening Guide, and they are, they are excellent resources for people in this work. So I want to give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us here today. Great gratitude to the earth below and the sky above, to these human hearts that unite us all. I give great thanks for the help that we receive, and everybody, have a good week.